Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk a little bit about Chinatown. Now, Vancouver's Chinatown is the third largest in North America. Um, when you look at its history, you can uh, trace it back to the late 1800s when immigrants uh, came to work on uh, Canada's railways and, and the mines here in Canada. Uh, it is truly a unique part of our city. It's had a storied uh, and hard-fought past. Uh, in many cases, when you look at um, this, the, the neighbourhood today, you have so many advocates speaking on behalf of Chinatown. In many cases, even the last civic election here uh, in Vancouver was in and around Chinatown and safety and security, and in some cases, random violence that we were seeing in Chinatown as well. Now, the pandemic also threatened business districts across the country, but a lot of rhetoric and fears about Chinese Canadians also made it hard for Chinatowns, uh, not only here, but Chinatowns throughout North America and its citizens. From COVID to real estate development to poor municipal planning, a new documentary highlights the challenges faced by Chinatowns in North America. Uh, the documentary, called Big Fight in Little Chinatown, focuses on three or four Chinatowns, uh, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal and New York. Uh, the documentary, as I said, is called Big Fight in Little Chinatown. Uh, its director is Karen Cho. The, uh, the documentary uh, airs at the Docs of Film Festival uh, this Thursday, and Karen joins us now. Karen, thank you for speaking to us today. Thanks for having me. What motivated you to do this documentary? Well, I mean, Chinatown, you know, I have deep family roots in both Montreal and Vancouver's Chinatown. Mm -hmm. And the first documentary film I ever did um, about 20 years ago, it was a film uh, for the National Film Board about the Chinese Head Tax and Exclusion Act. That film, um, you know, took place in in these Chinatowns and also screened in Chinatowns across the country. So these, you know, are communities and places that have a lot of meaning um, and memory for me. And, you know, fast forwarding from my first film, which was almost 20 years ago until today, I could see, you know, um, the challenges that a lot of these Chinatowns were facing, um, concerned about them being in these kind of periods of decline, or in the case of my, Montre- uh, my Montreal Chinatown, active erasure. So, you know, this was, these were some of the reasons why I wanted to um, you know, really explore in this documentary the kind of um, pressures that all Chinatowns are facing. So I had mentioned in the introduction uh, COVID, real estate development, um, in some cases even poor municipal planning, uh, perhaps even structural challenges with, with cities wanted to, as you say, uh, there's erasure of, of a community. Are the concerns all, uh, are they different in, in these respective communities that you're focusing on? Are they all, when you look at them, similar broad themes that these communities are dealing with? Well, I mean, yes, like every Chinatown is different and they face, you know, different obstacles or struggles. But across the board, you know, there there are similarities in, in what is happening. Um, you know, the film really dives deep into the kind of intersection between racism and urban planning. Um, you know, we, we are looking at in New York's Chinatown, for example, they're trying to put up the world's tallest mega jail right in the heart of Chinatown, right beside a senior center. Um, you know, and, and this kind of thing where, um, you know, urban development uh, plans are, are kind of just dropped onto Chinatown happens again and again. You know, Vancouver saw that with the freeway fight. 
Um, you know, Montreal uh, also had lots of land expropriated. So, you know, this thing happens again and again. And likewise with gentrification, you know, you know, in, the film follows Montreal Chinatown essentially getting swallowed up during COVID. The most historic block of our Chinatown is swallowed up by um, a developer that is very notorious in Montreal for rental evicting folks. Mm-hmm. And even in Vancouver, you know, um, the, a couple of years ago, there was this big mobilization around the site at 105 Kiefer Street. And of course, just recently, the, you know, the 105 Kiefer development has, has reopened up because of an appeal that, that happened. And, and even, um, you know, uh, uh, this May 29th at the City Hall, there, there's going to be a meeting about 105 Kiefer. And, you know, um, people are being encouraged again to speak out against uh, this kind of de- uh, gentrifying development that's coming into the Chinatown. Who are the folks resisting on behalf of Chinatown? Is it an older um, uh, immigrant community that uh, still lives there? Is it a younger generation of Chinese Canadians uh, that are also you know, wanting to be closer to their culture, knowing that this is their heritage well as, as well that needs to be protected? The faces, the names, who are these people resisting for the Chinatowns? Well, I mean, I think it's all of the above. Hmm. In a way, you know, uh, the historic urban Chinatowns have been in the cities that they're in often for, you know, over a century, like 150 years in the case of Montreal and Vancouver as well. So, you know, there there are seniors that live there, low-income people that live there. Um, all, but also, even as, you know, things have evolved, people have moved to the suburbs, um, People still come back to the original Chinatowns for uh, cultural practices. The family associations that have been there for centuries continue to be there and continue to be places of, um, you know, gathering spaces for the community, places where, you know, cultural traditions are are practiced. So it's a big mix of, of a lot of different things. And, of course, there's also tourists that come and even, you know, newer immigrants or, or folks who aren't necessarily even Chinese, you know, find uh, a place. In the, in the Chinatown, be it for affordable food or housing or, you know, um, as a means of kind of maybe reconnecting with a part of their culture that they've perhaps lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I look at uh, Chinatown today, so I see a, a, a significant Chinese community and uh, growing as well. But how much of it uh, of the challenges that Chinatown has has to do with the fact that the community itself has moved to the suburbs, as you had mentioned. So you see the significant amount of amazing Chinese restaurants, retailers in communities like Richmond, uh, in communities like uh, Surrey. You look uh, next door or just down the street on Main and 49th, which once was the Punjabi market and still is the Punjabi market for South Asians. But so much of South Asian shopping and eating has moved to the suburbs, the Surreys and the Abbotsford. How much of this, when you talk about the Chinatowns, does Chinatown also have to compete with the suburbs where, you know, Chinese consumers, and I'm not, not saying they're the only ones who go to Chinatown, but they still wish to shop and eat and play in air-conditioned shopping malls? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point that you're making, and I think there's an important distinction to be made between, you know, Chinatown, the historic Chinatown, and kind of ethno-cultural communities mm-hmm. in the suburbs. You know, Chinatown is much more than a kind of, uh, economic uh, transaction. It's much more than a place that you you buy something or you eat something. Of course, there is that part of Chinatown. It's very much a part of the neighborhood, but it's a place of of belonging. Um, it's a place of cultural practice. It's a place of you know visiting 
your, you know, the, the, your grandfather, your grandmother on the weekend. Um, and it's also a site of resistance. Yeah, you know, like, like the Chinatown historically uh, was a place for marginalized people, not even necessarily Chinese, uh, Chinese folks, but all marginalized people, be they low income or, or from other ethnocultural groups. You know, it was a neighborhood of sanctuary. And it does continue to be that for many marginalized groups of people. So, you know, Chinatown itself is more than just, you know, my ability to buy Asian groceries somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you can arguably get bubble tea or Chinese groceries anywhere in the city. But where can you go and, and visit family associations that have been operating out of a neighborhood for over a century or go to like the Hansing Athletic Club, for example, and see, you know, lion dance and dragon dance being practiced. And these kind of cultural things have been happening. Well, uh, you know, uh, Dan- Danny Kwan says it in the film for, for over a millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's so much more to Chinatown than just the kind of economic stuff on the on the outside well said karen thank you so much for your time karen joe is the director of big fight in little chinatown and correct me if i'm wrong here karen uh, your documentary kicks off the docs of film festival which begins this thursday yes that's correct it, it'll be screening at 7 p.m at the sfu cinema thank you so much for your time really enjoyed our conversation all the best to you thank you